Hello, Witchy and Weird. I am here with Gwen. Uh, Gwen is a sex educator, tarot reader, and mentor. She graduated from the University of Southern Maine with a BA in Women's Studies and a minor in Holistic and Integrative Health. In her work, Gwen integrates academic and intuitive guidance to provide her clients with psychic insight and strategic support. Hello, Gwen. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Are you doing your master's, if I'm not mistaken? I'm looking at grad schools right now. Yeah, I'm trying to find the best fit for me because there's very few terminal master's programs in psychology. So I'm kind of thinking, do I want to go straight for a PhD or do I want to take my time with the master's? So kind of in the search process and have been for a while, but I'm excited for whenever it's meant to happen. Yeah, that would be cool. I feel like that would be like, a PhD tarot reader. (laughs) Oh, that is the dream. (laughs) Just you saying it. I'm like, oh, say it again. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's really powerful to, to have all of that other knowledge behind you. Oh, that'd be really cool. Okay. Well, hello. I have been excited to have you on the podcast for quite some time. Um, your work that you do in like such sex education and like bridging like sex education with like liberation and witchcraft and like all that stuff is really cool. So I wanted to like bring you on to talk about that because there's tons of topics that fall under those bridges, like sex magic and all that kind of stuff. But I'd love to know like how you kind of like got to where you are doing what you are doing, because I know you're like really into the academics, but you're also owning a business and doing like spiritual stuff. And um, I feel like it's a little bit less common. It's not uncommon, but it's a little less common. So I'd love to hear your story. Yeah. So if we want to go way back, (laughs) I I went to Catholic school in middle school. I moved around a lot. So I changed schools. Uh, But one one place that we lived in, um, the best and safest school in the area was the Catholic school. So that's where we went did the knee socks, the cross ties, the whole bit. And um, I ended up being valedictorian of my middle school class, which meant that I was very good at being, for lack of a better word, indoctrinated into all of the less than savory aspects of the Catholic religion. It was Roman Catholicism um, for people who care about the details. And so I, like, I loved religion class. I loved learning about, you know, why people believe in the things they believe in. And at the same time, I was always kind of like, hmm, not being able to ask questions, like being told which questions you can ask and know more, like, eh, seems a little shady. I don't know about this. Uh, So when I got into college, I went to a secular college um, in Maine. And I found that like, I wanted to have an idea of faith and spirituality, but I wanted something that felt not so like big man in the sky that's going to punish me if I fuck up, you know? So I started researching um, paganism and I I took this like quiz that was like, oh, based on your beliefs, you know, what type of pagan might you be? What type of beliefs or tradition might you align with? And so that was a really great uh, starting point for looking into what types of non-Catholic spiritualities I might find myself aligning with. So I did that. And at the same time, um, of course, going to Catholic school, like there was no sex education. There was one class and I remember it very vividly. There was one health class where this lady came in and it was basically like the afterthought of the health class was like, oh yeah. And abstinence only like that. It it wasn't even an entire class on abstinence. It was like a general health class. And then the afterthought was, oh, by the way, sex. Yeah, no, don't do it. (laughs) And that was all. And so when I got to college, I didn't know anything, you know, like my, my mom wasn't educating me. Like the most that she did was she like pulled out the Mayo Clinic health book 
opened it up to the page of like a diagram of a penis, said that's a penis, and then closed the book. <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right, thanks, mom. <laughs> so I didn't know anything. And I remember having to like ask my best friend about like, what's birth control? Like, what do I do if I have sex with someone? And like having to ask my best friend about this stuff because I couldn't slash didn't want to ask my mom, didn't know where to seek out any other information. And obviously like my best friend, you know, was dating people and had been, but she wasn't like a medical professional or anything. And so like, you never know. Um, and so going through all of that, and then um, later on in college, I switched into the women's studies major and I got an internship at Planned Parenthood. Um, and that was like, I think it was the beginning, beginning of 2017, I think, like January. Um, so new president at the time, people were really scared um, for birth control access and things like that. So it was a really intense time to be part of Planned Parenthood, um, but also like a privilege to be able to contribute at that time where people really needed um, the education, the emotional space holding, all of that. Um, and then later on in like May of that year, I got a job at a sex as a sex educator at uh, the like premier education focused woman owned and operated uh, sex toy store in Portland. And that was really special. And so with all of those things combined, I was like, here I am, you know, finally learning about bodies and pleasure and safety and health and all of these things and like seeing other people and serving other people who were in the same place as I was not too long ago, just like not knowing anything, you know, feeling ashamed, having pain, like all of these things that really impact your life. Like if you walk through life thinking that you're broken or wrong, or that, you know, some aspect of you is screwed up in some way like that's a huge burden to bear like physically and emotionally um and so being able to be in that space and like hold that emotional intimacy with people and be able to guide them through education and like confidence and empowerment in that most intimate aspect of, of themselves was just amazing um and then the witchcraft kind of tied into it like when I was a tarot reader in college uh I didn't really have any friends um I had, I had a couple friends so if you're one of them listening like hello I haven't forgotten about you <laughs> but I was not I was not a popular kid by any means um and so the way that I would connect with people was like if I had a you know classmate I'd be like hey do you want to come over to my dorm room like I'll give you a tarot reading and so that was how I connected with people um and like learned about them and felt like I could be helpful to them and everything so that is the short but actually long story of how everything came to be. That's cool. And as you're talking about that, I'm reminded like when we're in school, sex education is merely about like body parts, diseases, and like the act of sex. And the work that you do with sex education is like filling a lot of those gaps that people even as adults don't even know or have access or permission to know like trauma around sex or like feeling pleasurable during sex and not just having sex and like oh my god it's like how many times are we gonna see sex in this because <laughs> <laughs> like every time I make an Instagram post I'm like how can I make this as terrible for the algorithm as humanly possible I was just thinking about that, but you'll be drunk. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, so you talk about like those different, like how to like be familiar with your own body and have it be pleasurable and feel safe, like with trauma and boundaries and things like that. And I think that is something that people can go their whole life, never knowing or addressing or feeling empowered to do. So I love that you're one of the people that's like out here doing the Lord's, doing Satan's work um, to help people, right? Yeah. Um, so I'd love for you to like share more about like what does your um, version or what does your realm of like sex education include? 
So where I came from, uh, Nomia, the place where I worked was very, um, their whole kind of ethos became my ethos basically about sex education. And so it's very much for myself and for the place where I came from about non-sensationalizing. So like not making things boring by any means, but not having sex be this like Ooh, scary, taboo. Oh, blacked out windows. Like, no, like get the fuck over yourself. No, (laughs) because unfortunately that's how, even in Portland, that's how some of the other places are. And if that's like the theme of the store and it's fun and everything, then okay, cool. But the aspect of sex education that we wanted to address um, at Nomia and now carrying me carrying this forward in my own business is just treating it like a normal thing. Because if we think about it, like sexuality and pleasure and eroticism, like there can be very specific times and places for those things. And at the same time, the larger kind of umbrella concept in terms of like pleasure and eroticism and like really engaging with your life and really feeling your feelings and everything. That's something that we can and deserve to apply to all aspects of our lives. And so when we sensationalize sex and put it into this tiny little taboo blacked out windows box, unfortunately, if that's the only way that we can see sex, if that's the only way that sex is accessible through this like mysterious, scary Pandora's box of like abstinence only and you'll get diseases, then that just perpetuates the stigma and it perpetuates the kind of puritanical ethic of living that we have in America of like, you know, work all day, never enjoy things, don't engage with your emotions, don't engage with your feelings, just shut everything off and like trudge through. And that is kind of what I really want to address, which is why I want to expand into kind of the larger realm of psychology, because I really think that as we get more comfortable with our intimate selves, whether that's our emotions, our sexuality, or something else, that we can expand that into our lives in general and have more feeling like authentic, truer lives instead of just like trudging through life and treating sex as the same way of like, oh, it's this thing that I only interact with for 15 minutes once a week in the bedroom or something like that. When we can expand that and say, okay, I can experience pleasure. I can experience sensuality and joy, whether I'm traveling, whether I'm going on a nature walk, whether I'm, you know, connecting with a friend over drinks or whatever. Um, And that's really what I want to emphasize is that we don't need to treat sex or pleasure or enjoyment of any kind, like this scary thing that we need to hide and keep away. It can be something that we can talk about in a normalized, non-sensationalized way, because it doesn't have to be that big of a deal. And when we take the fear out of it, we, we take away the power that emotions like fear and shame hold over us. Yeah. Yeah. And I know like in my work and in the podcast, we talk a lot about embodiment and how being embodied, feeling your emotions, becoming comfortable with your body is a huge key to healing trauma, to living authentically. And I think that this is like that one chunk of that pie, right? (laughs) Like pleasure because when you were talking about that you know not sensationalizing sex I thought of like when I was a kid if I felt pleasure for something that was like not supposed to be a sexual moment I would be like it was stop stop like tell my body like don't don't feel this don't feel this so like I'm like I'm like I totally get that as you're saying I'm like connecting the dots I'm like oh yeah that's so true right (laughs) and it's true because I've talked to or worked with other um, like pleasure-based like practitioners and they always push in my opinion they like kind of like push the bounds quote-unquote right because we're not used to it around like you know eat your food slowly feel the texture on its on your lips and like feel how that feels and like for some people that can be like what are you talking about like I'm having sex with my food like ew you know <laughs> and it's like no we're humans we feel things we experience pleasure and I like that you're 
working to bring that like broader perspective of like it's just a deeper connection with your body and what brings you joy and it will help you to increase living a joyful life which is like a huge goal for mostly everyone right like that's why we do shadow work or trauma work and all this stuff so this is like another way that you can do that exactly and that's the thing is like some people their entire thing like other educators and business people that are pleasure-based um their whole thing is like being shocking or being um very flashy and and that works it's kind of like you know we expect different things from different brands we expect something different from carhartt than we do from killstar you know um totally not the same in terms of clothing but kind of the same (laughs) and so for me like my specific corner of all of that is kind of normalizing things and i do that like whether i'm giving a tarot reading or talking about sexuality or whatever um because i i personally like to normalize things like i i wouldn't say something like have sex with your food um somebody else might say that and that's their mission mission and that's totally cool but i'm more kind of like think about it in this more objective abstract way and so kind of touching that aspect of people's lives and it is really special because like whether i'm talking about like tarot or sexuality or whatever there's definitely like a part of the population that I feel can really benefit from like the normalization of it even though it's it's not necessarily as like eye-catching as some other tactics are but like yesterday I was at a craft fair and there was um quite a few like older couples that came up to me and they were like oh what are tarot readings and they obviously never heard of them and so I explained what they were that like they can be a spiritual exercise they can be just like a psychological opportunity for reflection all of that and it really kind of de-escalated instead of being like let me tell your future and like all of this kind of (laughs) so again I feel like it's really important to have all of those different perspectives to have the eye-catching flashy attention attention like whatever grabbing perspectives and to have the more like normalized aspects of it. And that's kind of the other side of what I try to uh, get across in my work is like, not so much just the thing of like, I'm going to teach you about sex today, but like, allow me to offer a different perspective for you to see sex through or like a different way of thinking about pleasure or considering eroticism in your life or whatever. So that those kind of like it's very Gemini rising of me. Like, think about it this way. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I like that. And I feel like it kind of goes with, you know, if you're working just to help give people permission or to help them tap in with their intuition, with what feels right for them, just giving them different perspectives can be like easier or better um, than just like, I'm going to teach it this one crazy like way. Um, so thank you for doing that. (laughs) So I'd love to hear about like the magic aspect, like how do you tie your sex education work with the magic aspects? Yeah. So I do teach a lot of like sex magic classes and blog posts and things like that. Um, I guess in terms of the magic, like I'm, I'm very emphatic on the ethics and like people deciding their own, again, kind of this, like, not so much how to do, but how to think and the way that you think informing how you do things. And so like, I don't necessarily tell people like, get a rose quartz wand and do this with it, but it's more like, think about your objections um, or objectives, there we go, (laughs) with magic. Like, what are you trying to achieve? What are you comfortable with? You know, what fits your lifestyle? And for me, like this past couple of years, like with the pandemic and everything has been a very interesting um, lifestyle shift for me. Cause like I said, I live with my family right now. Um, Doesn't make sense for me to live anywhere else at this point. Cause I don't know when I'm going to be going to grad school and where. So we all live together um, Four people in a house that's not meant for four adults. It's a little too small. Um, And so I don't have, you know, the privacy and the luxury of like 
doing any magic, like sex magic or just like candles on the altar, you know? Um, and so I've really had to shift my personal understanding and practice of what does magic mean to me when doing the candles on the altar is not accessible? What does sex magic look like when doing, you know, a entire sex magic ritual the way I might ideally teach it is not accessible to me because for many people, it's not accessible, whether they're parents or they live with their family or they're just really busy or whatever. And so that's really kind of opened my eyes of like, what does it mean to be a witch and a magic practitioner and a sex magic practitioner when you're not able to do the things the way they're traditionally seen, if that makes sense. Um, so that's been really interesting. And a lot about like, finding and accessing sensuality in spaces that are not specifically sexual and like tuning into like sensory pleasures that don't have like a sexuality aspect at all because maybe you know your family's all around and it's not an appropriate time for you to engage with your sexuality or maybe you're working through some trauma and you don't want to engage with your sexuality you want to tune back into pleasure and feelings and sensations but you're not ready to do some like super advanced sex magic ritual. Like you're just not there. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to talk more about like, how do you, so I've popularly seen sex magic. I would say I'm gonna go ahead and say, I'm going to make like a, a full, like I've pretty much only seen sex magic be taught or used as like a form of manifestation like that's kind of like the main thing that I've seen it people popularize or talk about it I'd love to know like because you're talking about like thinking outside of the box and having different perspectives like is that the most common way that you teach it or you use it or you find your clients are using it or if there's like other ways that we can use sex magic besides just like I want to manifest like a thousand dollars you know mm. Yeah, it's definitely like that's what people usually ask about. And at the same time, I think it's important to have a broader perspective um, on magic. Like magic certainly can be transactional. It can be like, I want this thing, like I want to get this job or I want to make money or I want to whatever. So I'm going to do a spell. That makes sense. People do that. And at the same time, for me personally, magic is about connection. So whether that's connecting with your desires, connecting with the life you want to be living, um, connecting with your potential, or whether it's connecting with your body, with the energies around you, with your ancestors, with whoever. And so that is kind of the, the undercurrent of the way that I teach about magic is it's not so much, I don't have this thing. So let me get that thing because that's very easily exhausting <laughs> to be like, oh, I'm devoid of all these things. So let me go get those things. It's like very much capitalistic, unfortunately. And sometimes we do need a certain thing and that's understandable. You need rent money, understandable. You should go get that rent money, do a spell, do whatever. And at the same time, I think it is important to make sure that we kind of round out our magical practices by including those things that we want to see like in our ideal magical life if you will so for me that's connection for other people magic might be purely transactional for them and like who am I to say that that's wrong um but it, I think it really depends again it's not so much about me telling other people what their magical practice should be, but more so about me saying, based on my experience, based on the expertise that I do have, this is what I find fulfilling. This is what other people find fulfilling. And these are all things that you might wanna consider when you're thinking about for you personally, what is meaningful and fulfilling. And that definitely goes back to, um, my training as a sex educator as well. Cause we always like, it was never about, oh, well, I like this toy. So you should buy that one. It was very much about, oh, well, most of our customers find success with this one or many or some speaking in those abstract terms instead of like, oh, well, I do this. So you should do that. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. So along that vein, then what would you maybe for somebody who's like, okay, so is like sex magic only like happening during sex with a partner? Like, what would you give them as like examples or, you know, like options for like beginning sex magic or practices of sex magic? Yeah. So the vast majority of what I teach in sex magic is solo sex magic. So I would definitely recommend them looking up like I have some free articles on my website um, that go into detail about solo sex magic. I have a masterclass, all that good stuff. Um, But I would recommend if people have any interest in this, obviously you never have to do anything, but I would definitely recommend um, starting and maintaining a sex magic relationship with yourself because like, you know, we are our own primary partners. um, And I think that it's really important if people feel a draw to that, some people might not, and that's okay. Um, but if people feel a draw to that, to develop that sensual, sexual, magical relationship with themselves, um, because personally, I find that that is the most effective. Um, other people might disagree, and that's totally fine. But I think that having that baseline of my first sexual relationship was with myself, exploring myself, you know, learning about myself and integrating that into a sex magic practice. And then if you want to share or integrate someone else's sex magic practice with your own, with partnered sex magic, absolutely, of course. But I think that if somebody was like, oh, well, I want to manifest money or a job or something, so I want to do sex magic. So I better recruit my partner to help me do some sex magic. It's like, well, if it's something just for you, then why not just do it yourself? Because it's not any less powerful. I love that. Yeah. So um, what would cultivating that relationship with your, that magical relationship like look like? Mm. Um, I would say like, again, thinking about kind of your own personal ethos of like, what is magic to you? So again, for me, it's connection. So me cultivating my own magical relationship would look like connecting with my body, connecting with, you know, where I might be holding tension in my body, how I want to feel, what feels good throughout my day in life, what feels maybe not so good, the ways in which I really feel alive and connected with my magic. So for myself, uh, I'm an earth sign. And so for me, travel really like sparks that magical connection, connecting with a new place, all of the energies of that place and the emotions of that place. And that's where I really strongly feel like truly alive, you know? And so depending on what magic means to someone else, um, they might explore different things. But I think that that level of connection, at least in my experience, is very important, whether that's connecting with like, you know, the tree that I'm looking at outside my window or the woods in my backyard or the ocean or uh, the spirits that kind of populate my, my living space or whatever. Um, I would definitely recommend that. And then also making sure that you do kind of that psychic and energetic hygiene, if you will, Um, because a lot of times people want to skip right to like the good stuff of like summoning the spirits and, you know, channeling the messages and all of that. And and that is awesome. And it's it's a very fulfilling part of this work. And at the same time, it is important to make sure that we know how to set those boundaries that we know how to say, okay, time to not be interacting with the spirits. You know, it's kind of like you invite your family over for dinner and then at some point they leave because you wouldn't really want them to stay like forever. (laughs) And so having that ability to, you know, disconnect and protect yourself when you want to, um, because I definitely did not I teach a lot, like as much from my own mistakes as from the things that I do, right. You know, so I've had some really significant psychic attacks, like, especially when I was younger and I didn't know, um, like I didn't go through any formal witchcraft training or anything. So I didn't know that you got to like protect yourself and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so it definitely gives me a very interesting perspective when I teach and I'm like, please do your protections have your regimens, you know, know how to protect yourself and kind of the, the various steps that you can take, like 
a daily regimen versus something when you need some like spiritual Clorox or whatever. So that's what I would recommend. I like that. So what I, I want to reiterate what you said for like everyone listening. So like, I think when people first hear about sex magic, they think it's like has to be with the partner because that's what we think like sex mostly is and then most people I've seen who teach about it or practice it do solo sex magic and that's what you're like recommending like get familiar with yourself first and what your body likes and what your goals and intentions are um and kind of expanding I like that you broadly expanded at least like in your example of yourself sex magic is not just like pleasuring yourself like one-on-one time it's also like understanding how your body feels and bringing joy to your body and feeling like for you magic is like connection feeling connected and I think it's really about um the intention in that way right like anything that's kind of connecting with your vessel and like how you feel inside of it can be considered sex magic so I think um that's at least what I'm hearing from you, right? So I'm just like reiterating for everyone listening, like if there doesn't need to be so much, I feel like there's a lot of pressure for people. Like, am I doing it wrong? And, you know, I've heard so many different like theories. I actually want to ask you a question. I want to hear your opinion on this. So I've heard, um, this one's kind of like specific, but I've heard people say like, you're supposed to get right up to climax and then stop because now you've gathered all the energy and then you were supposed to put the intention somewhere without like finishing. And then I've heard people who are like, when you're climaxing, then you think about your intention. I'm curious if you have like any opinions on that, or you can provide maybe insight because I'm not an expert on sex magic. Yeah, of course. So the way that I have learned, teach, and practice is releasing the intention at the moment of orgasm because it's kind of like, whoosh, okay, letting it all, there it goes. (laughs) The scientific definition, the floosh. (laughs) But at the same time, um, with what you said about um, the way that we think about sex in general, informing the way that we think about sex magic, I think that's a really important point to really emphasize thinking about and reflecting on how our culture's ideas about sex uh, inform our ideas and how we think about sex magic. So for example, assuming that the default is partnered sex magic, when in reality, it's really important to have, at least in my perspective, I think it's really important to have a sexual relationship with yourself. We're not taught to masturbate when we're, we're taught that that's shameful, unfortunately, when in reality, connecting with ourselves in a solo sex practice allows us to tune into our bodies, to explore consent with ourselves of like, what do I like? What do I not like? Explore how we enjoy, how we receive pleasure and what feels good, what doesn't, so that we can share that with a partner so that we can have a robust and fulfilling solo sex practice And we can have a robust and fulfilling partnered sex practice and going kind of expanding from that, um, thinking about orgasm too, because I think a lot in the sex magic community, there's a lot of like a lot of emphasis on orgasm. And that's unfortunately kind of a shadow on, of the emphasis on orgasm in American culture in general. It's like, Oh, did you finish? Or like, if somebody doesn't orgasm, then the sex was bad or whatever. And there are so many reasons that people don't orgasm, you know, whether it's medications or mindset or like just the change in the weather, whatever. I don't know. Like you don't even have to have a reason. Yeah. And so I like to emphasize that too, that in my perspective, the key to effective and successful magic is the intention and the energetic, or I almost said the energetic energy, the (laughs) emotional energy and intensity. So regardless of whether or not the executive function of an orgasm happens, the important thing is the emotional investment and the energetic intensity. So if you are really feeling your intention, you're like, yes, I'm manifesting that money or like, yes, I am feeling, you know, my inner leadership and my confidence and all of that, then 
why would it matter if a certain physical function happens or not? Like we can't control our bodies sometimes, like sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't, and that is okay. And so I think that it's really important to frame that of like, okay, what has my culture taught me about sex and how am I maybe accidentally inadvertently copy and pasting those potentially harmful beliefs about sex onto what is supposed to be my own personalized and fulfilling sex magic practice. Yeah. Yeah. The second one that you highlighted, I was thinking of too, when you first brought up that comment about like our society's like beliefs around sex, because I had a lot of trauma with having sex with a partner from like my past. And that was something my therapist had brought up was like, try removing the pressure of like, I need to finish because that adds like a lot of pressure for people. Um, And then it makes sex about like a goal. It's just a goal to get to the finish line and that's it. As opposed to like what we're talking about this whole episode, right? It's a, it's a experience. It's a feeling, it's a pleasure. It's whatever you want it to be. Um, And that can be like more deeply fulfilling than just like quickly getting to an orgasm. Like, experiencing your own pleasure is like way more fulfilling on multiple levels, like sexual or not. So yeah, exactly. We're like bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. And being present in the moment, that's something that like, unfortunately we lose, especially in capitalist and Westernized societies. Like we're so, so not often, whatever the opposite of often is, <laughs> we're not often present in the moment. Like we always want to rush to the the end goal, the end result. We want to accomplish whatever it is. We want to be productive. And once we accomplish one thing, we move on to the next. And so having a sex magic practice that, and a magical practice, a sexuality, a whatever, some aspect of your life as much as you can that emphasizes and embraces the being present in the moment and not trying to rush through to the next thing. it just helps us to be happier as people. And unfortunately for a lot of people, like we all want to enjoy our lives so much, but it's not as flashy of a selling point or an intention or a goal or whatever to just enjoy our lives. Like everybody's attracted to like an ad that says make more money. Like everybody's going to flock to that. But not many people are going to be like irresistibly drawn to someone being like, hey, do you do you want to just like be happier in your life? You'll be like, nah, I got to make more money and then I'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of thinking about those things. And that doesn't mean that it's bad to want to make money. Absolutely. Go ahead. Utilize your sex magic practice to manifest money. God and goddess and goddess and everyone knows that plenty of people do that. Um, and that is totally fine. But at the same time. I think, again, in order to really round it out, it is important in my perspective to have at least sometimes a focus on like slowing down, being present in the moment, and really just like appreciating being with yourself, enjoying being with yourself without the need to up level or change or do better or fix anything. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that when you were talking about that, like I think that people do want happiness, but I feel like it's like money first and then it will give me happiness. Cause I was thinking about how we consume a lot of like celebrity reality TV and we see people like actually just being able to use their money to do whatever they want, which makes them happy. And so we think like, that's the only way, or maybe like, I'm not saying everybody, right? Like we can think that that's the only way to be happy or in existing in capitalism, you need X amount of money to live your life. So yeah, I, I think, yeah, it definitely is. It's, it's not as exciting and enticing to, to tell people like maybe something else. <laughs> exactly. The, the longer term solutions um are not as exciting as the quick fixes it's like well what if you could just be like quietly peacefully present with yourself people are like "Eh." (laughs) not not everyone but again it is a cultural thing because because we're not taught many of us are not taught to value that 
And so we kind of have to figure it out for ourselves, just like we kind of have to figure it out for ourselves, how to, you know, decide what aspects of our upbringing we do actually agree with and what aspects we're like, actually, like that doesn't work for me. I'm, I'm going to seek out something else, seek out a different spirituality, a different uh, political leaning, a different lifestyle, a different pace of life. Um, and so again, I think the emphasis is on like tuning in with yourself, getting to know yourself and taking that little bit of extra time and effort and energy to figure out what is actually fulfilling for me. Cause it's probably going to be vastly different for different people. And we need that, you know, we're heterogeneous creatures or whatever, like the way we survive is that we're all different and, and we need that difference. Yeah. So for the last bit, I actually want to ask you more about like your magic practice. Cause I know you work with, um, specific deities. So I'd love if you, if you feel like sharing, cause I, I know you bring that a lot into your education, right. And your on, especially on like your business page, um, I see you posting about working with deities. So I'd love for you to maybe expand on that a little. Yeah. So I would say my main deities are sometimes it changes, sometimes not really. So in different ways, I would say the Morrigan, Aphrodite and Hades are like my big three. I'm thinking now I'm thinking of like the big four <laughs> metal bands and stuff. My big three deities are the Morrigan, Hades, and Aphrodite. And other ones kind of come and go, like, you know, around every Hexanoct, I feel a reconnection with Hecate um, and different deities at different times. Um, but those are definitely the, the steady eddies of my life. And uh, the Morrigan is definitely, I think, I, I'm not dedicated to any deity. I don't have any formal dedications at this point in my life, but she is definitely, if I were to name like a one that I would consider like a matron or patron or something, um, it would be her. She's she's a Celtic deity. Um, and I actually didn't connect with any Celtic deities until her. I was like, well, I'm Celtic. I should be connecting with Celtic deities. Um, but then she came to me and it was, it was very interesting, you know, like she, she's very, uh, makes herself known and she kind of like, won't leave you alone until you either accept or reject her advances. And if you want to reject her, you need like professional help to say, no, go away. Um, but for me, like, it was very easy. Like I have a friend who also worked with Morgan and she just had like a hell of a time, like not, not good. But for me, I was just like, yeah, absolutely. Like this is good. Yes. And she's definitely led me through like a lot of the most transformative aspects of my life. Um, and she's one of those deities that like, I don't <clears throat> directly connect with her every single day, but she's kind of one of those like long-term, you know, forces that I know will always be part of my life um, and different aspects of her, like the prophecy work and the magic and the sovereignty and all of that um, have really obviously are big parts of the work that I do in my business. But I really like my connection with her because it, it does feel very personal. It feels very much like, because having, having a personal brand, having a business based on who you are, like you as a person, um, can be a lot in terms of like merging your business self with your personal self, merging your personal value with however your business is doing at the moment. And with her, it's really nice because I don't feel like she doesn't, she influences my business in terms of like, I see the common themes between my career mission and kind of what she presides over, but she kind of just feels like she's there for me and not like a big part of my business, if that makes sense. Um, it's kind of like if your romantic partner is also your business partner, you have to like be very careful about separating those things. And so it's nice that she's kind of just a personal deity for me. Um, and then the other two, Hades and Aphrodite, are definitely more obviously correlated to my business. Like Hades much more with like the divine masculine and the earthy, like I'm 
super heavy earth sign. Um, and so having that sense of groundedness and stability and like the, you know, good counselor to mortals aspect, the wealth and prosperity aspect, and that kind of underworld aspect of the self, you know, the shadow work, the getting to know all parts of yourself, even the ones you might not want to look at all of that. Um, and I notice a lot of similarities with like Hades's personality um, and his lore and everything as I've learned them um, with kind of my own self and my own journey. Um, so for anyone that like is interested in learning more about Hades, I would definitely recommend um, Angelica Crushy's work. She does a like almost all of her business is uh, centered around those themes and teaching about Hades. So that's where I learned from. So that's what I would definitely recommend. And then with Aphrodite, it's really nice to have like the more lighter, airy aspect of things. Um, I always connect with her when I go to the ocean. Um, I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So I've always lived near the ocean um, for most of my life. And so I really connect with her presence when I go to the ocean. It feels very like cleansing and refreshing. And at the same time, like, I think a lot of people, I don't want to say don't take Aphrodite seriously, but they see her as like a fun goddess. I'm thinking of like Regina George's mom, where she's like, I'm a cool mom <laughs> and Aphrodite's like, I'm a cool goddess. Um, and, and she is, but at the same time, she's definitely challenged me in terms of like, as somebody who is a civilian in a capitalist society, like interacting with a goddess who is about play and joy and luxury and love and all of those things. It's been a lot to think about like, what is my relationship with play? Like, what is my relationship with something that is intrinsically valuable, maybe not functionally valuable? And like, if I ever find myself having a problem with something because it's not functionally valuable, like, why do I have that problem? Like, where is that coming from? Is that me? Or is that what I've been taught to believe um, or else, you know, so that's been very interesting, um, and, and definitely influences my work in terms of like a lot of, you know, the things that I post about are things that like, when I'm just kind of thinking, when I'm meditating on different aspects of usually Aphrodite and, um, her identity and the, the many facets of her, these things will come to me of like, oh, do I have a problem with like something that doesn't have a, a productivity value? If so, why? Like if I'm feeling this way, maybe other people are feeling this way and, and it could be a nice invitation for them to reflect on that. Um, so she's definitely a big part of my work. Um, definitely not an easy goddess to work with. Um, she can be, she can be wonderful and fun, but she's also a goddess of like mischief and things like that. And so I think it's important to see, to not pigeonhole deities as like, oh, she's just a goddess of love or, oh, that deity is just, you know, a wealth deity or whatever. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think I wanted to touch on the deities because you, you post about them a lot on your page. So I wanted to see like how it connects for you. Right. Um, and I think they're also a good, like I don't know, feedback loop type of thing. Cause you're talking about how you work with this deity and then you realize like their values might be pushing you to unlearn things or be pushing you to connect deeper with the things that you want to learn about or you want to embody and stuff like that. So I think they can also be a good like source of, um, I don't know, unlearning, I guess, or like focusing or reframing for people. Cause I think the biggest thing that I'm kind of seeing um, kind of, I mean, it's like, I knew this on a level, but I feel like having this conversation is really like highlighting this um, that I want to point out is like, I think a lot of people think like sex magic is a specific thing on its own. And the way that you're teaching and working with like sex, sex education and like trauma healing and stuff like that it's like, this can be a tool to do all of these things, right? Because that's really what, like, a lot of practitioners, like, I also help people with trauma and stuff, but through, like, inner child healing or through, like, intuitive development. So it's like, these are all, like, different tools 
that we can use to help us and it might be better easier whatever for you when you're doing it and so I think like the way you're talking about the deity work is kind of like another tool right like another facet of that to help you see like I love that you talked about um productivity with Aphrodite like that one I'm like oh this makes so much sense right like we don't think necessarily that joy is connected to productivity but it it is you know like we see so many times like I can't do this thing that I really want to do and it's going to make me happy until I'm productive enough because we're like taught that in our society Mm -hmm. and like we probably don't when we're sitting down to do like our sex magic practice or something we probably don't think like that could be a goal for me is more joy over productivity you know like so I love that you're like putting I I work with Aphrodite so I'm like this makes so much sense for me (laughs) yeah I know and like thinking about things as being kind of all part of that grand mosaic of life you know it's not like oh, you know, my, my sexual self is like this one isolated thing that like I hide away and don't look at until I decide to look at it. Um, or like my deity work, you know, I only do that on two day, Tuesdays at 8 45 PM. And like, after that, I don't think about it. <laughs> I think that again, as, as much as you want to, because I do think it's important to have boundaries in a spiritual practice, but for myself, I don't necessarily like my practice does not, to be honest, it does not often look like, you know, kneeling at my Hades altar and like saying certain things more often. It looks like, um, you know, thinking about my life purpose and thinking about, do I trust myself? Like, do I have the capacity to trust myself to apply for the grad school that I don't think I'll get into, but I really want to go to anyway, you know, to um, build out a business, to reevaluate my business ethics when I'm presented with new information. Like, can I, can I move through all of those? It doesn't always have to be challenges, but to me, that's a big part of deity work, you know, like what is my identity? what am I doing in this world? You know, because myself, I'm very like career mission oriented. And as I go go through these changes and transformations, as I learn more, as I go through life and experience things, how does that inform my relationship with these deities, you know? And so that's, that's a big part of it for me. It's not just like Hades, give me $50 whenever I ask for it. It's like, how do I relate to money? You know, how do I, um, relate to trusting myself, you know, how well can I tolerate it when things don't go the way that I had hoped when my manifestations don't work out perfectly? Like, do I have that resilience? Do I have that inner kind of integrity to move forward and to trust myself through all of the ups and downs and highs and lows and in-betweens and not just when things are perfectly rosy, you know, like how do I move through all of that? Cause I really think like, at least for myself, I think that deity work is part of like being the most true to ourselves. I hate to use the word best cause we, we shouldn't like put things on a hierarchy, but be slowly, but surely like tuning into our truest selves and living there as much as we can, you know? Yeah. Actually, I was kind of seeing um, the way that you work with your deities, I think maybe is related. It could be related to like what energies are placements and stuff are because you were talking about like you do have a lot of earth energy and then you're talking about being Gemini rising. I think like thinking about things, right? Like that's very like air energy because I know for me, I thought, you know, I've kind of just been learning witchcraft as I go. And I thought it would be like kneeling, praying, like at the candles at the altar and stuff. And a lot of the stuff, even my, my deities, but also my spirit guides tell me to do is like action. Like we want to see you like do like take care of yourself. And that will be like how you're devoting yourself to us because you're not doing it on your own. So we're going to help you do that type of thing. And I have like Aries moon and Sagittarius rising, which is fire signs. And I think like for those signs, it's like you you need to do things with your body to feel like connection or to feel like fulfilled or whatever it is. 
So it makes sense for me that they're like, do a thing. Like you need to move in your body to do it. And that's going to be like the devotion or the, the relationship to us, as opposed to like lighting a candle and just like letting it burn. I feel like it's a sometimes more, feels more meaningful to do the actions and stuff. So I'm exactly. And, and that's the thing. And like, that's what I, I hope that I can convey to people is that whether it's witchcraft or sexuality or any of these really personal and intimate aspects of our lives, like they should be personalized. So it's not so much what you do like, oh, well, if you want to work with the deity, you should kneel at their altar for 20 minutes once a week and light a candle. Like it's not so much the things like, oh, these are the list of things that you should do. But thinking about and developing a practice that is like, what do I feel good in? Like what feels fulfilling for me and why, you know, cause like, I know for myself, um, I, <laughs> I am not like, I don't have a very, I'm not someone who would be happy, like sitting and kneeling at an altar for three hours in some really ornate ritual, like my dad hates it when I burn candles in the house. So I can't do that anyway. Uh, and it just doesn't work. And so a lot of people like particularly neurodivergent folks will ask me like, if I don't have the space to be like sitting somewhere focusing for three hours in some trance ritual, like, am I even a witch? And it's like, yes, absolutely. And that's the thing is like a lot of these for me as an earth sign, like experiential integrated into my lifestyle practices are what I do. So like, you know, when I go out to a restaurant, if there's something that has like pomegranate seeds, like I'll order that. And that'll be like an offering to Hades, you know, and I'll enjoy it with my friend. And like, we'll talk about Hades and stuff. Um, or if I'm traveling somewhere, like I was at this beautiful, um, estate in Miami and just like thinking about Aphrodite and like sitting by the ocean uh, for a few minutes and just like meditating on her. And so practices like that, that's what works for me. Like I don't sit at my altar for a long ass time <laughs> and, and just like sit quietly. I don't like, I'll go out for meditative walks. I'll go, you know, traveling to places that I feel embody my deities energies. And that's what works for me. And so I think that not forcing yourself to do things that you think you should be doing. Cause again, that kind of inadvertently recreates this capitalist puritanical, like, oh, well, I have to do these things and suffer through them in order for it to be valuable. But instead thinking about what works for me and why, you know, why do I things, why do I do the things I do? Why do I use the crystals I use or whatever? Um, that ends up being a lot more fulfilling. And like, as a very personal, intimate part of your life, it should be personally enjoyable and fulfilling. And so I think creating this new ethic of how we go about living our lives, how we go about thinking about things is really the, the aspect of the impact that I want to hopefully make with my work. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of get this feeling like I'm seeing, um, like your work maybe for some or maybe the way it comes off can feel like nuanced because people aren't like awoken or aware <laughs> whatever term you want to say to like these more like overarching themes and how they can really appear in our lives um but I feel like with those like small tweaks or like it's not small, but it feels small. It creates like huge change for people in their lives. Like what about this one? Like a lot of the stuff that we talked about in the episode, I feel like if you, if people just took one, one of those things and they're like, okay, I'm really going to focus on that. You could have huge change in your life. So I think, um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm seeing is like, because it's not so flashy, people might be like, but it's like, this will create huge shifts for you <laughs> when you're exactly. Yeah. And that, and that's why I really like you know, doing the one-on-one -on -one, like tarot readings and like the ongoing one-on-one -on -one work that I do. Cause it's like, I don't think that my mission is to like go on Instagram and be like, 
everyone, if you use rose quartz, it will solve your life problems. Like that's not how I, that's not what I feel authentic to. Um, but what really makes me feel like I'm making a difference is like working with someone and helping them to like helping them to help themselves, you know, um, which is why I ultimately want to become a therapist too, because that's very much, I think therapist ideology, if you will. Um, like I'm not making people dependent on me for like the secret answers and codes and whatever, but it's okay. Like what is meaningful for you? What is that true authentic part of you, that identity within yourself. And let's work to kind of unwrap the layers of, you know, socialized beliefs and internalized beliefs that might not work for someone. And then gently kind of coax out those things that do work for that individual so that they can hopefully, you know, cultivate a really personally meaningful life instead of like, trying to copy and paste the way that the Kardashians live and hope that that works for them too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Such mm-hmm. a good like philosophy. I feel like many of us who are listening are probably like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. But I think that time and time again, I've like surprised myself with like the amount of, I think we're just grow. We're like raised to not question things, right? Like our school system is like, follow, listen to the leader, follow in line, do this, do that. And then you get rewarded um, or you can pass or whatever. Um, and I, I surprise myself with how often I'm like seeing those things in my life where it's like, yeah, why am I doing this? Like I, who said, like, who am I giving authority to? I can just decide if I don't want to do this. And I think working with practitioners like you. Um, I know I do similar stuff for people, like people who are like, I want to help you give yourself permission or empower yourself. Like that can be like really freeing and really eye-opening because it's, there's so much that we're just like, oh, I just do this because I don't know, you know? And then the more we can answer those questions, like, do I want to do this? Does this matter to me personally is so freeing. Exactly. And it's so fascinating how we can see all of this uh, illustrated in our culture, like back from like, you know, in like the Salem witch trials era, uh, the main religion was Calvinism, which was you are when you're born, it is predetermined if you're going to heaven or hell and you have no idea which one you're going to. So good luck living your life in fear, not knowing if you're damned for all eternity or not. Um, and like that kind of cultural, uh, context of trauma is not easy to get over. Like, and that, you know, puritanical work ethic that we've adopted as Americans and all of that, it is really tough. And so move, and we see this with like, you know, uh, like idolizing certain gurus and teachers and things like that too, instead of thinking like, what applies to me? What am I consenting to? How do I, you know, honor my self-leadership instead of like depending on someone or something else, whether it's a deity or a teacher or whatever. Um, And so like when I was in college, I was a women's studies major. And so feminist pedagogy was the big thing. Um, And it was like, instead of that's the professor and they know everything and I as the student know nothing, instead of that, it was everybody sitting in a circle and the professor is facilitating the space, um, you know, sharing their expertise and all of the students have expertise and experience to share as well, instead of like, I know everything and you know nothing, you know? Yeah. And so I've definitely really carried that into like the way that I facilitate spaces as well as like, it's very much consent oriented. And if someone doesn't agree with something that I teach, that is totally fine. If somebody wants to share, you know, something that they find helpful or a tip that they know or whatever, like, Absolutely. And so I think that, again, this kind of shift into an ethic of thinking, being, all of that, that's more personalized and honors that autonomy instead of 
one size fits all. You need to do things this specific way or else. Like, I hope that we're moving away from that because I, I think that there's a much more fulfilling way to think and be and teach and live. Yeah. Yeah. I hundred percent agree. <laughs> I'm just like, please again, for your <laughs> say it again. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, how can people work with you? Where can they find you on the internet? Of course, I'll put all the links in the show notes, but I want to give you, if you have like a program coming up, you can talk about that as well. Yeah. So I mostly live on Instagram. I'm at Gwen Walsh, just my name first and last. Um, and then my website is the same, uh, gwenwalsh.com. And that's where you can find all my services and stuff. So what I'm doing now, I'm currently teaching a tarot course. Um, we're kind of in the middle of that and I'm opening up a few spaces for one-on-one -on -one work. I'm going to be wrapping up um, the majority of the clients that I have are ending at the beginning of June. So I have three more spaces um, that I'm going to be opening up for that. So if people want to work with me in that really immersive, intimate way, it's like daily Voxer access, six readings. Um, and access to all of my master classes as well, because why not? <laughs> so if people want that high support, high touch um, aspect of working with me, then that is definitely the way to do it. Um, and then I'm always open uh, for single session readings as well, just based on my availability month to month. Nice. Yeah, thanks. I feel like we could, I was like looking at the time, I'm like, we could just keep going about all I the know. <laughs> So yeah, thank you for coming on and um, I'm excited to, I don't know, I feel like there's going to be a lot of like nervous, what is it like neurons firing in people's brains when they're like listening to this. So I'm excited for all of that. I feel like I can already kind of feel it even for myself. So <laughs> thanks Yay. for oh, I can't wait. Yeah. And until next time, everyone, goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Witchy and Weird Pod. If you want to stay up to date on all the latest and greatest, follow us on the socials under Witchy and Weird Pod. And if you want to stay in contact with our host, Amanda, follow them on IG under Amanda Sakratoff Intuitive and Twitter and TikTok under Amanda Sakratoff. And if you love Witchy and Weird Pod and want to support all that we do, become a patron and get access to exclusive benefits like discounts on merch, bonus content, and woo-woo experiences. As usual, everything is linked in the show notes. Bye!